Well, good morning. Good morning. Man, how many of you enjoy worshiping the Lord? It was awesome. I had the best seat, too, right next to the drums. It's awesome. Love it. They say that there will be no pastors in heaven, only worshipers. And so we have great practice until then. Well, this morning I have the honor of bringing God's word to you. Most of you heard um, with Pastor Chris. He just wanted a day off, and uh, now apparently he got, he got injured. And so keep him in prayer. He's doing much better. With that, normally I don't give my messages titles because we go through the word verse by verse, just like uh, Pastor Chris does. But this morning, uh, the title of it is called The Wisdom of God and Fools. And with that, thinking about the topic of wisdom, how many of you would, you, would consider yourselves wise? No one is raising their hand. <laughs> it's a very wise decision not to raise your hand. Okay. Well, we certainly know that there's a difference between knowledge, wisdom, and insight though they typically go together at the same point, right? We know that there's a difference. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts and data that you've learned about or experienced. A lot of us have knowledge. Wisdom, on the other hand, is the ability to discern and judge which aspects of that knowledge are true, right, and just, and how they are applicable to our life. And then we have this insight, an insight is the deepest level of knowing and the most meaningful to your life. It is the deeper and clearer perception of life, of knowledge, and of wisdom. Someone once said, Sadly, we can gain a lifetime of knowledge, yet never see the wisdom in it. We can be wise, but still miss the deeper meanings. I believe that to be true. Summing up the difference, someone once said it this way. They said, Knowledge is measuring that a desert path is 12.4 miles long. Wisdom is packing enough water for the hike, and insight is building a lemonade stand at mile six, which is true. Today we see some examples of all these, and we're going to read about that as we continue. And it's an interesting concept, wisdom. How many of you have ever prayed for wisdom? Ever pray for wisdom? Those who, how many of you are afraid to raise your hand in church? Right, awesome. Okay, so most of us have prayed for wisdom. We've prayed for a lot of other things as well. As I was telling first service, never pray for patience, because the Lord will give you that much faster. But it's an interesting thing. People always search for wisdom. They want to be wise. They want to know how to apply their knowledge. And in fact, upon uh, preparing for this, I did a Google search for wisdom, and I came up, or I should say Google came up with 258 million sites that dealt with wisdom. Most of which dealt with some form of psychology. And so I changed it up a little bit and I rephrased the search by putting in, I need wisdom. And what was interesting about that is all of a sudden all these Bible verses showed up within the first page. Which I thought was pretty cool. Now before we begin to attempt to gain wisdom here, we need to understand that there are roughly two different types of wisdom. Two different types. We have godly wisdom, which we get from God's word. But then we also have worldly wisdom. We're going to see that today. It was Aristotle that once said, knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. How many of you believe that to be true? It's not. Sounds deep, doesn't it? Knowing yourself, that's deep. And those who don't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, that would sound pretty deep to them as well. 
However, that very quote actually contradicts Scripture. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Yeah. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so we can instantly see the difference. We can see the difference in that. Worldly wisdom centers around ourselves, Whereas godly wisdom centers around God. And so today, we're going to be covering quite a bit of scripture. I was told earlier, um, we ended early in first service, which I think they appreciated. Um, however, I was told to make up the time today on second service. So we have about three hours. So we're looking great. So open up to the book of James chapter 3. James chapter 3, and we're going to be going back and forth between the Old Testament and New Testament here this morning. James chapter 3, and we're going to start with verse 13. And James starts off in verse 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Verse 17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so James here, writing very poetically uh, to to the Hebrews here, and he's describing the contrast between that of godly wisdom versus earthly wisdom. And wisdom was very important to the Jewish people. To them, it wasn't enough to have knowledge. They understood that you need to have wisdom in order to apply that knowledge. And so, as we talked about before, there are two types, godly wisdom and earthly wisdom. And most of us seek wisdom at some level or another, whether it's godly wisdom or worldly. Someone once said this. They said, experience comes from what we have done. Wisdom comes from what we have done badly. And I think that's true. But we'll also see from James, wisdom comes from different sources. And it's important that when we seek wisdom, when we ask for wisdom, it's important to know, number one, how to ask what to ask, and who to ask. When I was studying for this message, I thought about wisdom, and two people came to mind, two which we're actually going to see their lives this morning. The first of these two is Solomon. And here's this young man, he's just made king over Israel, and his father was the mighty David. How many of you have heard of David, right? I mean, this guy's a household name. Everyone knows of David. First thing that comes to your mind when we think of David is what? Of oh, going to say hamburgers, but that's way off. No, yeah, Goliath. Everyone, you say David, they're like, oh, David and Goliath, right? And this is what Solomon had to live up to. In fact, just a few of David's triumphs and accomplishments. Number one, God anointed David, king of Israel, when he was a boy, and he defeated Goliath. He married King Saul's daughter and became a hero in Saul's army. He also became king of Judah and then, you know, king of the united 12 tribes of Israel. He conquered Jerusalem. He brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. He defeated the Philistines. He defeated Moab, Ammon, and Syria, bringing lasting peace to them, to Israel. And so he had a lot going on. That was who Solomon's father was. And Solomon, no doubt, would have felt that he was living in the shadow of that. 
And so now let's turn to 1 Kings for a moment. 1 Kings, we're going to look at chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. And we're going to see Solomon's response to God here as he begins to see the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Looking at 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon and sacrificed there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day. Now listen, when we get to verse 7, watch how he responds to the Lord. It's, it's fascinating. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your word. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall there be like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, and that there shall be, excuse me, wisdom and honor, so that there shall be not anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream, and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. So we just saw this marvelous thing take place where Solomon is greeted by God in a dream. And did you see how he asked for wisdom? He confessed that he was inadequate. Lord, I don't have the answers. I don't have them. He was humble, and it says that he pleased the Lord. And what it came down to was that Solomon understood something. He realized that wisdom was priceless. Wisdom is priceless. He didn't have the wisdom that his father had. And what's interesting is Solomon grew up with, you know, in royalty. He grew up with King David. Everyone knew King David. Everyone knew King David to be a man of war and just a man who accomplished many things in the Lord. That's who Solomon grew up with. And so he had the knowledge of how to be a king. He had the knowledge of how to speak like a king. He had the knowledge of war, He had the knowledge of all those things that his father would have taught him, but he lacked wisdom on how to apply that appropriately. 
Now, let's go back to James for a moment. James starts off with the appropriate way to live in wisdom. He says in verse 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. I've been a lot of wise people in my life. Some of them were, had godly wisdom that just was amazing. You know, it's like they were like a walking Bible, literally. You'd ask him questions, what should I do about this? Well, thus saith the Lord, and he opens up the Bible, and there's the information. But I've also known a lot of people who've had worldly wisdom, where it sounds very wise, but maybe it doesn't really align with God's word. And it always amazes me how many people consider themselves wise when in reality they're not. You know, there are a lot of intellectual geniuses who are unable to handle a simple task in life. James tells us, if you have understanding... Prove it by parading yourself and letting everyone know about it. Is that what it says? No, it says, prove it by meekness. Meekness. That means being humble. That means gentleness. And when we think about that, the person that comes to my mind is Moses. Right? This was a man who was considered one of the meekest men who lived. You know, this Moses who communed with God, he heard God's voice. Can you comprehend that? I mean, most of us, we hear God's word when we read his word, right? We hear him speak to us through his word. But imagine actually hearing God audibly speak to you. Imagine hiding behind the cleft of the rock and seeing God's glory pass by and how that would affect you. It affected Moses so much that when he came down from the mountain, he was glowing like a light bulb. I mean, his face shined. That's what we see. And that would cause, that could actually open up an opportunity for pride and arrogance. Hey, I, I got to hang out with God. We had breakfast this morning. But not Moses. In fact, when people came up against Moses, even with his wisdom, his intellect, his knowledge, his communion with God, when they came against him, and they said, hey, you know, we can hear from God too. And they started to oppose him. Instead of Moses coming off against them, you know what he did? He just simply fell down in his face and prayed. It's crazy. I don't know if I would do the same thing. If I just had a meeting with God and his glory shined right in front of me, I think I'd be pretty prideful about that point. If someone came up against me, I'd just, you know, remember Moses had that rag or that cloth before his face? I'd just take it off and be like, look at me, you know? I'd probably do it at night, too, scare my kids, you know? It's like, woo, you know? Fact is, that's not what he did, though. He was very meek. He was very humble about that. That is true wisdom. It's not parading itself. It's not going around saying, look how great I am. Look how amazing I am. Solomon, when answering the Lord, he answered in humility. He knew he didn't have all the answers. Yet, he asked the Lord for wisdom. It's an amazing thing considering, if the, imagine if the Lord ever came to you in a dream and just said to you, what do you want? It's yours. Just ask. Can we fathom, can we wrap our minds around that? I mean... For most of us, we've been offered things from people. But there's a limitation to that. There's a limit to what I can physically give somebody and vice versa. But when it comes to the living God, there is no limits. He is outside of limits. And so when he said, ask, can you imagine that? Anything you want, what do you want? Just ask. It's like a blank check. I read an interesting story. An angel appeared at a faculty meeting 
And he tells the dean that in return for his unselfish and excellent behavior, the Lord will reward him with his choice of the following. Infinite wealth, infinite wisdom, or infinite beauty. And without hesitating, the dean selects infinite wisdom. Done, says the angel, and he disappears in a cloud of smoke and a bolt of lightning. Now all the heads of his staff turn towards the dean, and they look at him, and they just wait. There's a pause of silence, and one of his directors leans in and says, Say something. And so the dean looks at them, and he ponders for a moment, and he looks at me and says, I should have taken the money. One person laughs. Thank you very much. I'm done. No, I... Fact is, well, that's wisdom. Wisdom shows us and tells us to apply knowledge. And perhaps some of us think that way today. However, Solomon had it right. James is showing us the proper attitude to have. Are we meek with what we know? Are we humble with what we have? And one thing I want us to understand is that sometimes we can confuse intelligence with wisdom. And there is a difference. There is such thing as worldly intelligence which can certainly come in handy. However, worldly wisdom typically shows little profit. And so James continues to show this contrast. Going back to verse 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth, he says. Bitter envy and self-seeking. These are polar opposites of meekness of wisdom. Complete opposites. And we see this all the time when it comes to worldly wisdom, don't we? We see this type of attitude. We see people who are led by their bitter envy and self-seeking motives. And they parade about telling everyone how wise they are and how magnificent they are. This would be the worldly wisdom which in turn doesn't bring about any profit. Now, there may be some who will say, well, you know, I've got some worldly advice and I'm doing great. My stock portfolio is amazing and this is great and that is great. And here's the thing. There is something to be said about that. You know, we mustn't fool ourselves into thinking that all worldly advice is heavenly sent, though. James would say this wisdom in verse 15 does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual. Then he adds the word demonic to kind of close that out there. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are are there. And so we see pretty strong words, however, right to the point. I like what one scholar said. He says, I have this verse underlined because it is the grid through which I can run any conversation, teaching, or any word of instruction. If there is envy and strife, tension and confusion in what I hear, then I know it's from hell. But if there is purity and peace, righteousness and mercy in what I hear, I embrace it as being from the Lord. I like that. When we give or receive advice, if we compare it to the attributes found in James, we'll know right away where we stand. Have you ever received just horrible advice? I'm sure all of us have at some point. Have you ever given horrible advice? No one's going to raise their hand. Okay. No. Let's look a little closer at verse 15 for a moment. Within this verse, we see three enemies to the believer. We see foolish wisdom is, number one, earthly, sensual, and demonic. And within these words, we see the world. We also see the flesh and we see the devil. 
we see earthly wisdom or wisdom of the world. And again, not to confuse wisdom with knowledge. There's, mankind has used knowledge to create fascinating things, amazing things. However, mankind is not always wise with how they use these things. Now, we spoke of Solomon earlier, a man who was given a tremendous gift of wisdom. In fact, he was so wise that it tells us that people would come from all over just to hear this man speak. He was incredibly wealthy, incredibly intelligent. And he sought the Lord for his wisdom. However, we have another person who instead of seeking the Lord, they actually sought earthly wisdom. This would be his son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, actually did the exact opposite. We know that David was a hard man to follow after, and Solomon actually did an amazing job. Solomon built a temple, and he was also one of the wisest men to ever walk the face of the earth. Again, big shoes to fill, and yet here comes Rehoboam. And actually, in 1 Kings chapter 12, we actually see an interesting exchange happen between Rehoboam and his subjects. Let's go ahead and turn there. 1 Kings chapter 12. And so Rehoboam, again, a young man, getting ready to lead this kingdom. And some of the king's subjects come before him. And as we see in 1 Kings 12, verse 4, they say, Your father, Solomon, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father in his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we'll serve you. So he said to them, Depart for three days, then come back to me. And the people left. And so we see these people who will come, and they come before him, and they're being very transparent. Hey, look, your dad, he was pretty rough on us, man. You know, he was pretty rough. And if you would just lighten this up a little bit, give us some room here to breathe, we're going to serve you. We're going to serve you till the day we die. We'll be very loyal. And Rehoboam, being, you know, just like any other king, depart three days, let me think this through. Okay, let me talk to some advisors and we'll work through this. And right now, that sounds like a wise decision. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And like any king, he wants to take the advice of the elders and kind of put things together. And so verse 6 now tells us, the king Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived. And he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him saying, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. That's wisdom. That's fantastic. Sounds like sound advice. These guys sat under Solomon. They would have heard his teachings. They would have modeled after what he taught on. And it's safe to say they had good heads on their shoulders. And so when he asks them for this wisdom, they share it. Listen, if you would but serve these people, let them have what they need. They will serve you. They will, they will be strengthened because of this. You see, they saw a king not as a dictator, but as a servant of the people. That's really what they are. However, let's see what happens here in verse 8. But he, Rehoboam, he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. And he said to them, what advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us? 
Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you shall speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke, my father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. Very loving remark, right? Said it in love. No, notice the different tone between the elders and the young men. Also, what's interesting is that we see the elders grew up with Solomon. They grew up in wisdom. And it says twice here that these young men, he, they grew up with, with Rehoboam. That was their example. The elders wanted to serve the people. Rehoboam's elders wanted to simply please him. And Rehoboam followed the advice of the young men, it says. And later on, we don't have time to get into it, but later on we see that it actually cost him dearly. Cost him big time. In fact, there was a split in the kingdom over his response. All because of the advice, the earthly wisdom. And so we see two options here. We see two ways to give and receive advice. The elders' advice was, as James would say, done in meekness of wisdom. They were humble. Look, let's just serve the people. That's what we are. That's what will create a strong kingdom. However, the advice from the young men was earthly and sensual and demonic. It was covered in envy and self-seeking. No, 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 no. Your dad gave them a break. Tell you what, here's how we strengthen the kingdom. You make them know who's boss. You're going to show them how strong you are. And then once they see that, that they can't pull anything over on you, then they'll be your subjects. We see two different outcomes here. In fact, James would say in verse 16, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. That rings true. There was total confusion which led to a rebellion of his own people. And all too often, when we go through our own trials, what do we typically do? How many of you have ever gone through a trial in your life? Right? Every single hand should be. Every single, if you have not gone through a trial, then talk to me afterwards. I want to know your secret. It's kind of cool. But all of us have gone through something. And what is the first thing that we typically do when we're going through something? Pray. Okay, so this is the spiritual section right here. Just to let everybody know. <laughs> okay, no, that's awesome. Yeah, you should. That, that is the correct answer. However, how many of us really do that? Don't raise your hands. But consider that. I know for me, I don't. First thing I do, if I'm feeling something, I start making lists in my head. Okay, this is what we need to do. Boom, 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 boom. And I start creating a plan. And I bring that plan before my wife, my wife who's certainly more spiritual than I am. And she reads my plan. She indulges me. And she says, well, why don't we pray about it? Like, well, that sounds, no, who wants to do that? This is my plan. Secondly, I'll call my good friend on the phone. And we'll discuss it and we'll talk it out. And then after I've exhausted all my earthly wisdom, then I'll go before God and talk to him. That's typically what happens. Or my favorite is, and I've seen this, people who are looking for advice, the number one place to go to is Facebook. A lot of wisdom there. <laughs> you know, a lot of wisdom there. Now, it's not to bash against you if you're on Facebook. You know, I don't want to see anybody shrinking down like, However, here's the thing. We have an amazing opportunity when we go through trials. You know what the Bible says? 
in first, or excuse me, not first James. There's only one James. James chapter one, verse five. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, how many of you have ever lacked wisdom? Right? Some of us, how many of you are getting tired of raising your hand? Just raise your other one. It's easy, right? If any of you lacks wisdom, here's the benefit. Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. I love that. Let him ask of God. You know what that verse kind of shows us? Is that we don't talk to an absentee landlord. We're not talking to a God that doesn't exist. We have a living God. And when it says, whoever locks wisdom, let him ask of God. That invokes an opportunity for God to answer us. Now, here's the thing. If we're going through something, we're to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, how do I get through this? And sometimes I think that we don't bring our burdens to the Lord because maybe we think they're outside of his realm of understanding. Maybe we think they're too small. Have you ever felt that you had something too small to bring to the Lord? I mean, this is almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, and I'm not going to bring him this. I remember in Bible college, I was debating. I lived an hour and a half away from my house. I was debating whether to go home for the weekend. I know, it's a huge trial. And I remember asking my friend, you know, I don't know what to do, man. He says, pray about it. Pray about going home? Yeah, pray about it. Ask the Lord. Nothing is too small to bring to God. Just like nothing is too great to bring to God. Anything that we have, anything that we need wisdom on, we can ask of the Lord. And I love who gives to all liberally and without reproach. I love that. He's going to give it to us and it will be given to him. My first phone call, my first communication when I'm going through a trial should be to the Lord. But here's the thing. When we pray and we ask God, Lord, I need you to get me through this. Lord, I need wisdom. Lord, I need this. We expect an answer right away, don't we? It's like, Lord, what should I do? Anytime, Lord, right? As the minutes go by. We live in a fast food nation. You know, we want something right away. I had the opportunity yesterday to buy breakfast for my family. And my wife and I, we went and pulled into the drive-thru. And anytime you go through drive-thru, that gives the thought of speed. However, this apparently was... They had a lack of understanding of what speed meant because we were sitting there for 20 minutes waiting for four croissants. Granted, they had ham and cheese and egg. It was pretty fantastic. But we had to wait for 20 minutes. And while we're waiting there, I'm looking at my wife. I'm like, this is not fast food. This is slow food. We're waiting for a long time. But that's how we are. When we come to God, it's almost like we have microwavable prayers. We put our prayer in the microwave, hit 30 seconds, and expect him to come out with an amazing answer right away. Does our God work off of the microwave method? No. He works off of the crockpot method. Right? We're all familiar with crockpots. Right? And there's a difference in odor between a microwavable dinner versus a roast that's been simmering all day. You know, for us, we do microwavable dinners sometimes, and you always have, like, the smell of cardboard and plastic. And that just, that beams with appetite. I'll tell you what. But there's something that happens when I walk into the home and my wife has been letting a roast just simmer all day. And it's like, oh, right? So I'm getting hungry now. We're going to have to speed this up. But it's amazing. And that's the difference. You see, when we ask the Lord and we want answers right away and we want that microwavable prayer, 
and we seek wisdom from others, we kind of get that cardboard plastic response. Whereas when we come to the Lord and we wait and we're still and we know that he is God, all of a sudden we have that, ah, it's like a roast. It's simmering. It's perfect. It's amazing. That's what we have in the Lord. We're to wait. We're to be patient. Now, here's a quick question. True or false? We should always pray for patience. It's a trick answer, right? Huh? I'm going to sound spiritual if I say yes, but I know I should say no. (laughs) Very careful about praying for patience. But here's the thing. That's what we're called to be. That's why it says to be still and know that he's God. Be still. Do we have a hard time being still? I know I do. You know, I own my own business. I'm in technology and everything has to happen right now. Everything that I do. If a client calls me, they wanted something yesterday. And if I tell them, hey, just be still, relax. That doesn't fly very well. You know, it doesn't work. But for us, we're called to be still. And we're called to seek the Lord for wisdom. We're not called to go to our friends first. We're certainly not called to go to Facebook for wisdom. You know, I mean, certain times we'll have friends who give us scriptures and things, and certainly there could be wisdom in that, absolutely. But here's the thing. I find it really sad that when I go to Facebook, I actually see a lot of worldly wisdom coming out of those who would confess to be Christians these days. This should not be happening. And one thing that we definitely need wisdom, because of what's happening in our world and certainly presidential candidates, we need a lot of wisdom to pray that through. Now, here's another thought, too. If you were on the receiving end, in other words, if someone is coming to you for advice, what should you say? Should you say, well, I can see you're very brilliant by coming to me, for I bestow mountains of wisdom. Thank you. Right? No, it's empowering. When someone comes to us and says, hey, I'm going through something. What do you think I should do? That's kind of a good feeling. Kind of strokes our ego a little bit. You know, because we know we're better, right? That's pretty much what it's about. Kidding, don't laugh at that. That's horrible. No, we're, we're servants to them. No, but here's the thing. The first thing we should ask them is, have you prayed about it? That should be the first question. And if they say, well, no, guess what? Now you have the unique opportunity to say, great, let's pray about it together. Let's bring that before the Lord. What does God have to say about this? That's what the follower of Christ should do. And that's what godly wisdom dictates. And as we pray for that person, the Lord may certainly lay wisdom upon your heart to bestow to them. And hopefully as you're praying as well, you can share that word with them. Now, here's the thing. Have you ever given somebody advice and when you're done giving them advice, they just kind of look at you like, what? What are you talking about? That's kind of an awkward moment, isn't it? We always want people, when, when we give them advice, they want to say, Oh my gosh, that was from God. That's amazing. There are two types of advice or answers to advice. We have what's called a confirmation and we have what's called a revelation. See, a confirmation is when you're praying and someone comes to you and asks you for advice. And as you're praying, you, you know, okay, I think the Lord wants this in your life. Here's, here's a scripture for, you know, that the Lord kind of gave me for you. And as you're reading to that to them, they're just like, wow, that's exactly what I was praying for. That's a confirmation. A revelation is when you give them advice and they give you that face like, what? Perfect example. When I first met my wife, met her, and two weeks later I went up to her. I was about 16. She was 15. I said, you're going to be married to me. That wasn't, you laugh. That's 
hurtful. No, in fact, <laughs> that was, for me, a confirmation. I knew she was the one. Apparently, she didn't know that because it was a revelation for her. But I still got her in the end. And the fact is, is that it's so important to know when we give people advice, is this lining up with Scripture? And we'll talk about that in just a moment. And so we see this worldly wisdom and we see where it comes from. James would continue in verse 17. He says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So, heavenly wisdom we see is first pure. It's first pure. This means that it's uncontaminated. It's not mixed with hidden motives that serve the one giving advice. Before my wife started dating, before I started dating her, after I told her that we were going to get married, but she didn't believe me, uh, we, we became friends. Became friends. And that's always fun for the guy. And so we were friends for a while, because she was dating someone else. And... Apparently, they broke up, and because I was the shoulder to cry on, she came to me, and she says, we just broke up. What should I do? Should I get back together with him? I said, nope. <laughs> right? That's, come on. Uh, who's with me on that one? The fact is, I said that. No, I don't, I don't, I don't, think, he, I don't think he's scripturally sound. <laughs> I started throwing off Bible words because her dad was a pastor. And so, you know. Now, did I have the right motives? No. Did it work? Yes. It's fantastic. But our message, I mean, that, the fact is, is that our wisdom is to be pure, uncontaminated. It's then to be peaceful. And that means calm, nonviolent. If you're punching someone to get your point across, that's probably not the God way of doing it. It's to be gentle. That means mild and calm, and tender and temperate. And then he says, willing to yield. That's a hard one. That's a hard one. That means it's dying to myself and surrendering to God's will. Yielding. Full of mercy, which means compassion, that grace, being understanding. Of good fruits, which means bearing life. And it says without partiality, it's not prejudice toward my own point of view. And lastly, it says without hypocrisy. And this is being sincere, not two-faced. And we saw these very attributes with Rehoboam. We saw the elders who gave their answer. It was pure, it was peaceable, it was gentle, it was full of mercy and fruit. They wanted the good of the kingdom. It wasn't just about the king, it was about the good of everyone. However, then we saw Rehoboam's other friends, if you will, the young men. And it was all about making, hey, you know what? You need to look good, man. You need to be hard on them. And so we saw that. They were willing to yield only unto themselves. And so we see the opposite is true for us sometimes, isn't it? When asking the advice of friends, it should fall under one of two columns. Is it earthly wisdom or is it heavenly wisdom? When we look at those two columns, worldly wisdom would say, you know, would dictate bitter envy, self-seeking, boastfulness, lies against the truth, and, and it also brings confusion. However, we have heavenly wisdom, which is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, 
and without hypocrisy. Most of us give advice, most of us receive advice, and the fact is is that we need to know where it's coming from. And what's sad is sometimes these two columns can intertwine. Sometimes someone can give you great scriptures, but then they give you wrong wisdom that applies to it. And that's where we have to be wise as serpents in that. One thing we have to be cautious too is if you've ever received bad advice or if someone has ever talked to you and it doesn't line up with Scripture, be very cautious with what you do with that. Because as we see throughout Scripture, bad advice is a cancer, isn't it? As we saw with Rehoboam, it totally ruined his kingdom. However, great advice, as Solomon came before the Lord, he received that from the Lord. He was humble. And that prolonged his kingdom. Either way, we are called to always seek the Lord first. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come, and Lord, we thank you for your wisdom. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for its truth. Lord, we know that your word does not return void. And so, Father, we pray, God, that you would give us a passion for your word. Lord, that as we seek you, we would hide your word in our heart. And Lord, more than just knowing it, we would live it out. And so, Lord, I pray as we go our way into the mission field, Lord, that you would allow us to be that reflection of Christ in this dark world, Lord, by our actions, filtered in love, by our words if necessary. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.